As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Soccer Show, where today we're going to be talking about Manchester City, a record win in the knockout stages of the Champions League as they beat Leipzig 7-0 and 8-1 on aggregate. And then looking a little bit more broadly at the Champions League quarterfinals as a whole. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by the wonderful Mark Carey, data analyst at the Athletic. Mark, it's lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Jack. How are you? Yeah, I'm very, very well, my friend. How are you? Yeah, good, good. I've uh, been watching a lot of football this week. There's been a, a lot to sift through. Yeah, it's been kind of one of those mad weeks where not only is there the you know the Champions League, but then there's Premier League action sort of kind of chaotically straight against mm-hmm. it. And then there was Europa Conference League game on Wednesday night that, that really exploded into life early on, in, just before the Champions League kickoffs. So everything feels like it's been kind of non-stop. But... I feel like out of all of it, the big storyline, amongst many big storylines, but the kind of headline news has been this City win, a 7-0 win against RB Leipzig at the Etihad. The kind of performance which justifies their tag as Champions League favourites, I think. And from where I was sitting on it, I wasn't 100% sure about this. Well, going into the second legs of the round of 16 and hearing people say, well, City are Champions League favourites. After we just watched Bayern Munich, beat PSG in Paris in the first leg. We'd seen Real Madrid go to Anfield and won 5-2. And City had drawn one all against a very good Leipzig side. It's not taking anything away from them. And I was thinking, I'm not 100% sure of this. And now it feels like City are right back in the conversation of, oh, maybe justified favourites. Yeah, I think that's right. I think they overall they played the, t- the perfect tie across two legs. And I think that the question was put to Guardiola after the first leg, you know, are you disappointed with that? And he outlined it really clearly how Leipzig are obviously very good on the, the transition and he said that they don't have the speed to be able to keep up with them. So very happy with a, a one-all draw and obviously now hindsight is a is a funny thing, but he was absolutely right in just containing in the, the first game um, and the second game absolutely comprehensively thumping Leipzig. I, I, I mean, I was massively impressed with, with Manchester City. I think that 
they killed the game off by half time, really, didn't they? Um, in terms of not only the scoreline, but just the fact that Leipzig, all of their positivity and enthusiasm had pretty much gone by by half time, and there was no going back from there. But I was a little bit shocked by by how poor Leipzig were. I think that they played into Manchester City's hands a little bit. I think there's a few pieces out on on site, um, one of them by John Muller, which is a fantastic read to basically say that they tried to Leipzig tried to play a little bit more like City than the typical RB style. And you think that, you know, the clash of, of different styles would have maybe been the thing that gave Leipzig the edge and playing that more transitional style, more vertical, rather than trying to play out from the back and trying to keep the ball. If you're going to try and play Manchester City style football against Manchester City, then you're not going to win. You're not going to win in terms of style. You're not going to win in terms of outcome as well. And I think that Leipzig were a little bit naive in that regard. That being said, we've got to obviously give the, a lot of the credit to Manchester City and they were hugely impressive. Their their pressing intensity was was actually, by the numbers, one of the highest this season. They were really aggressive, really on the front foot and and that showed with with some of the goals. And I think as much as anything, they punished any Leipzig mistake that, that occurred and they were just comprehensive um, throughout, really. They could have taken their foot off the gas after about an hour, but they just carried on and they were relentless. Yeah, I think what's really interesting about this is is maybe the way that Pep managed to tie. And obviously this continual narrative around Pep in the Champions League is to do with the idea that he overthinks things and he makes these changes. And actually when City do badly, those things are thrown at him. And when City do brilliantly, everyone seems to conveniently forget that Pep has made similar changes and they've worked to a T. And, and actually talking about the way that Leipzig set up, I wonder if not necessarily a game of cat and mouse was played here but maybe there was a little bit of a thought of okay Leipzig came back into the game in the second leg in Leipzig and actually they played some really nice intricate football and I think Marco Rose has done a good job generally <laughs> about the fact that his team looks more comfortable in possession now we're seeing a little bit of a move away from that traditional RB model and it, all the kind of transitional football that they've played down the years it hasn't gone away but I think it's being relied upon a little bit less so that in games where they are on top and comfortable, they're able to, to knock the ball around nicely. And actually, they overloaded that left-hand side in the second half against Manchester City, used that switch ball over to Benjamin Enriques, who made a massive difference. And I wonder if there was a little bit of City, they're going, we know how they're going to play now because mm. we've given them the... They got almost given them the bait to try and do that again. And we know that if they try and do that again, we can shut it down. <laughs> maybe perhaps maybe perhaps playing a longer game than anybody thought on this one. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. Uh, and to your point about, you know, styles make fights, basically. And as you say, I think that the way that Leipzig have evolved over the years, they did it a little bit kind of going back and forth with the, the Jesse Marsh style being very RB and then the Tedesco style being a little bit less and then back into... A little bit more with with Marco Rose and having that balance is that you'd almost wanted to see the the RB style come out in this Manchester City game for the reason yeah. that I said that you you think that okay if we can try and create a bit of a, a clash and try and be a bit more relentless as they they were in the second half as you say then maybe we'll get something out of the game I think it was always going to be an uphill battle anyway to to try and get something out of Manchester City who was so strong at home anyway um, but no it wasn't to be and. It, makes me think about the the wider point of sort of German Bundesliga football in general against the the Premier League and the difference in in quality of course Bayern Munich are a powerhouse in general they always have been always will be but it does make you think that 
as good as Leipzig have been. And I've seen Leipzig live um, this season. I was lucky enough to go to see them play Schalke uh, this season. And they were fantastic. I know that Schalke, despite a, a recent upturn in form, have not been the, the strongest this season in the Bundesliga. But Leipzig were far and away so, so comfortable and so, so relentless themselves in that league game. But coming against coming up against someone of the quality of, of Manchester City, it really did sort of show the... The gap in quality, really, just how strong Manchester City are. And that's not to say that Leipzig aren't quality. It just goes to show the unbelievable players that Manchester City have in their um, in their squad and now have been one of the favourites to win the Champions League. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. We've seen some good performances from City this year. And notably, I think, in big games, City have, have, have stepped up. But maybe they've been a little bit more sporadic than Manny expected. I think... What would be interesting is kind of take a look at what was different on Tuesday. And I think you probably touched on it earlier on about that incredible pressing mm. um, that, that felt more notable, perhaps, than we have seen it through a lot of this season. Yeah, I think Erling Haaland in particular, which was the second goal, I believe, pressing the the goalkeeper. And I think there was a bit of a, you know, when you've just scored a goal, you're just full of energy, you're full of adrenaline. I think there was an element of that a little bit, but it feels a little bit more... Like the the front line is, I can say clicking more. <laughs> Holland setting records for fun, but you know what I mean in terms of the off ball, more integrated um, build up play. The the front line seemed to be a bit more coherent in pressing in the attacking third, and it did show within that game. But I think you're right that City have been kind of a little bit more sporadic in general. I think that I don't believe they've won more than three games um, in a row in the Premier League. They're yet to reach four games in a row winning in the Premier League, which is quite remarkable when you think about it given the consistency that Manchester City that we associate them with but also just compared to to last season and it goes to show how strong Arsenal have been by the way in the, in the Premier League yeah, yeah. Um, but in terms of what was maybe different I, I don't really know exactly aside from what we just discussed whether there was anything really that was specifically different over and above just they were just so so clinical I think they really made the most of set pieces and that was shown in the goals as well um, but I don't know whether, despite the scoreline, whether they're exceptionally better in anything in particular. But yeah, to your point, I think they were far more intense um, in their press in general. But I think that they also showed a, a fair amount of experience across the whole two ties, which is what we spoke about before. The, the experience to kind of play the long game and just know that they could pick them off eventually. Um, I think that was kind of the main thing that in Champions League terms was, was positive because we know that Manchester City have faltered when we think that they are the favourites maybe to to win the Champions League or be there or thereabouts, um, in years gone by, they have faltered in, when we expect them to win um, and gone out far far earlier than than we expected. And they, they just comprehensively just swept swept Leipzig aside. Yeah, I think it'd be, it'd be going to be kind of intriguing to see how City's learnings from past Champions League failures mm. impact them upon this season. Because... You're looking at this in terms of, right, there are some heavyweights left in the competition, sure, by Munich, as you say, Real Madrid. But, you know, aside from that, obviously Milan and Inter have wonderful history in this competition, but have kind of struggled with it of late. I think it's the first time in 17 years that both of them have been in the quarterfinals. Porto are obviously past winners, but again, a team that you, you aren't expecting to progress much further than sort of the quarterfinals, semifinals on any given year. You're looking at the people that Manchester City could come up against. And, and really, as long as they avoid Bayern and Real, 
you kind of assume that City could beat anyone. And that's not to say that they couldn't beat Bayern or Real Madrid, but the that kind of experience within the competition, the, the teams that have won it, all of these things, I think, start to play into these things. But everyone's talking, and, and rightly so, about Erling Haaland. And it's been a remarkable campaign. As you say, breaking records left, right, and set 39 goals in 36 games for Norwegian, which I believe broke a 90-plus year City record for single goals in a cat goals in a single campaign. This was him at his kind of instinctive, unstoppable best. There have been conversations, especially I think on social media this season, about what Haaland's presence brings and takes away from Manchester City. And maybe this has all been really overblown. And and, and by maybe I mean this has all been really overblown. <laughs> there, there is a level of it that you're going, you can't score this many goals and be necessarily making a team worse. You can change a team's dynamic, but I don't think you can you can set these kind of records whilst being a, a bad addition. But I do think there's an element in terms of him getting comfortable and, and that adaptation period that has maybe meant the City aren't quite as used to him as they might be. And and this is kind of for two things. One, I think we're starting to get to a, a kind of place here where City know how to utilise him, especially in these big games, which is incredible. And two, if this adaptation period is coming to an end, and this is how good he's been in the adaptation period, it's real like everyone else is on notice, isn't it? Yeah, massively. I, I think you're right in saying that it's... It's not about maybe better or worse. I think it's just about it being different. And the adaptation period is exactly the the phrase that I would use. Um, I think there have been teething problems. I think that's sort of fair to say. Even when he scored, I think that there's been, you know, elements where City have been a little bit more open defensively um, in in not being able to shut down those those counterattacks and those transitional moments because. Of the of having Holland in such a, a central fixed position, rather than being so used to those rotations within the front four as well, and I think that's why I'm sure we come on to it. That's why they maybe changed Guardiola's changed the system uh, in terms of the starting with a back three, a three box three, uh, essentially doing that in possession to probably have a little bit more protection um, in that regard, but. As you say, with the amount of records that he's he's been setting, you can't ever say that it's a bad thing. And I looked into it a little bit more. Um, he's reached 30 goals in fewer games than any other player um, in the Champions League. Uh, as also the youngest player to reach 30 goals in Champions League history. Um, this, I thought, was really interesting. He's already joint 19th in the list of all-time Champions League scorers. And he's gone above the likes of Samuel Eto, Antoine Griezmann, Kaká, Wayne Rooney and Luis Suarez, which considering that he's 22 years old, is just frightening. So I think we can obviously, there's, there's absolutely zero doubt about his ability to score goals. I think you're, you're absolutely right in terms of the, yeah, the adaptation. I think that he's probably from Tuesday as well. You could tell just how much he was, as we said before, pressing a, a little bit better, starting to understand coherently um, where he needs to be on the pitch out of possession. As, as every player does need to adapt to a, a Pep Guardiola side, I think it's very similar with Liverpool in that regard, that players don't don't always hit the ground running because it's a very specialised role, um, especially in the, the front line. We saw that with Jack Grealish, I think, to a different extent in being able to adapt. Um, but So yeah, I think that his ability to, to press has improved, but also his ability to link the play. I think it was maybe the third goal, like just after half-time, he yeah. had a, a very decent wall pass, but was able to... Um, just link the play and kind of then get on, on the end of things again as well. I, I don't think that he is the best player on the ball, but it'll be something that will he'll undoubtedly 
improve upon even more. There's no doubting his finishing ability, but I think his ability to to drop in, maybe link the play sometimes, will improve. And then City will will become far more coherent anyway. And that's already by their ridiculous standards. So any criticism is relative to Pep Guardiola's Manchester City and no one else because they are sort of in a, a class of their own. Yeah, yeah. And when they click like this, it very much feels like they are. And, you know, Owen Hargreaves was saying this on the punditry uh, for this game, but he was saying, it doesn't matter who you are. If City play like this, you they win. That It's mm. as simple as that. The thing has been, can you stop them playing like this? Which is a whole mm. different conversation. But I often think about football in terms of chaos and control. And, you know, obviously Pep Guardiola is a, a manager who demands control, control of games. And it's part of why the first leg was so cagey because he wanted complete control over it. It's also mm. why City, I think, have struggled when games have been thrown into chaos. And you obviously throw that back to last season at the end of that game against Real Madrid, who were kind of able to play in whatever game state that the game throws up at them. Liverpool thrive in chaos or have thrived in chaos. Real Madrid are masters of it. City are very much a team that thrive when they're in control. And for years... You know, this has been the case. They've been at their best in control of games, struggle when it's been thrown the other way. And the Champions League, I think, has been a real arbiter of this for City. But I wonder now if things are slightly changing in that regard because Haaland gives them something in those periods of chaos that they can take advantage of. And we heard Pep talking about Kevin De Bruyne and the fact that he wants to get him on the ball with the game in front of him, with the game opening up in front of him. He says, you know, Kevin isn't a player who likes to play in the small areas. What he's really good at is when the pitch opens up for him. He's not a Bernardo Silva. He's a very different player. And I actually think this is really interesting in that City have brought in Erling Haaland and given Kevin De Bruyne a target in Erling mm. Haaland to play with when the game is in those kind of mad transitional states. And I think it gives them something different in those chaotic periods that are going to come in the Champions League when you come up against good sides because you can't have complete control of ties for 180 minutes against a, a Real Madrid or against a Bayern Munich. It just doesn't happen. Mm. I think that now City are far more equipped to deal with those age, uh, those kind of periods of chaos that they have struggled with before. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. I, I definitely agree with that. More akin to a, a Real Madrid, as you say, sort of however you want to to play, uh, you know, from the opposition's perspective, we can do that. You want to play more transitional? Fine. We've got Erling Haaland, we've got Kevin De Bruyne. You want to sort of sit off for a little bit? Then, okay, we'll knock it around because we've got the players of, of technical quality who can play in, in tight spaces. So I, I do think that that is true to a, a certain extent. I think that it's interesting, actually. I looked at the numbers and City haven't actually massively changed their style overall to, to suit Holland this season um, when you think about maybe how, how many passes they're having per sequence or how quickly they're they're advancing up the the field there's not they've not suddenly become transitional as a sort of a style to to suit Holland who was you know obviously came from a, a Dortmund side who was very able to play far more vertically in, in more of a transitional side and the Bundesliga in general is a, a more transitional league but the, the point being to, to your point is that they can play in more of those transitional moments as and when it, it allows it. So I think that there will be a massive advantage in that regard. I think that, you know, there's a few examples. I think last season, I think Jack Grealish had a really good chance uh, against Real Madrid where he could and probably should have maybe put the game to bed. And it was, granted, I think it was a good save, but wasn't exactly clinical in that moment. I think, was it the COVID season where Raheem Sterling blazed a really good chance over the bar against Leon, And then they went out as a consequence of that. I think yeah. as much as anything, Holland's going to be good in just being such a cheat code of clinical finishing and just being able to maybe put the game to bed 
in the first half, like the Leipzig game, and just not even give the opportunity for a Real Madrid comeback like last season in the ridiculous, was it 90th, 95th minute and then extra time, 97th minute. Something that was just like an absolute sucker punch. I think that there'll be fewer chances for, for Manchester City to be in that in that situation because Holland or, you know, De Bruyne as well will just be in situations which will just maybe shut the game down early doors. And that's not to say that it won't ever happen because in Champions League football, in knockout football in general, these things happen. Th- there yeah. are yeah, these things happen and there may not be the case. But I think there'll be less of an opportunity, less of a chance for that to be the case for all the reasons that you said. And I think as I say, he's such a clinical finisher that he will just be in the right position at the right time rather than last season where we know that they didn't have a recognised centre forward. I think it did ultimately show, which is why Real Madrid were the ones who who knocked them out with a clinical finisher like Karim Benzema. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be very interesting to see how that develops over the course of the Champions League, and especially in terms of how it works and what it looks like in contrast to a league season. Because actually, I think those kind of controls are very important in a league season. And actually, maybe the fact that City have transitioned a little bit away from this, mm. and you look at Real Madrid, who don't have a brilliant record in La Liga over the last 10 years, even if they've won the Champions League so many times, because... In knockout competitions, those moments can be the things that change things around. Over the course of a 38-game league season, it tends to be the team, it tends to be the best team that wins, I, I think, mm. generally. There, there's little doubt that over the course of a season is, is a better way of determining who the best side is than maybe a knockout cup competition. And so, actually, the fact that City have come away from that a little bit, not necessarily in their style of play, but obviously looking to be able to take advantage of those moments, might have contributed a little bit i would say and and again this isn't to take anything away from arsenal who have been brilliant and and deserve all credit for for going and and taking it to city and and getting themselves out in front but you you look at those kind of moments you go oh is arsenal's kind of element of control that might lose them a game against city actually the thing that will bring the home the premier league title it's really interesting to kind of pit the two dichotomies against each other and look at both sides of that coin i just wanted to talk a little bit more about kdb because it was probably overblown a bit, but Pep spoke about him needing to get back to basics before the game. It seemed to be the only thing that was mentioned on the commentary for about half an hour. But afterwards, <laughs> he, you know, he he then spoke about wanting to get him on the ball with the game in front of him. Was he said 
what does Pep mean by this? And and is he right? Or has there just been a bit of a drop off since the World Cup because he had a really bad World Cup and he's probably absolutely knackered, et cetera, et cetera? <laughs> yeah, I'd be interested to see what you think on this. I, I think it is probably the latter. I think that he has had a natural drop off since the World Cup. I think that Belgium were all full in the World Cup. I think yeah, there was well, no one who shone themselves in, in glory at all. Um, and Kevin De Bruyne, he was making he was making mistakes in that World Cup that you just don't associate with Kevin De Bruyne, which to, to Guardiola's point was more simple passes. But I don't really feel like it. Obviously, Guardiola knows Kevin De Bruyne far better than me. But from the games I've watched, it doesn't feel like it was it's sort of simple five, ten yard passes that he's giving away. I think it's everything that we know Kevin De Bruyne is. He's not going to be that person to to retain possession because the passes that he does make are those high risk, high reward passes. They are those searching balls to Erling Haaland at the back post. They are those passes that are through balls inside the fullback that no one else sees because that's why he gets so many assistants and contributes so much to the to the attack. So I think that with Kevin De Bruyne in general, you have to take the rough with the smooth in terms of ball retention. Um, yeah. and it's, I looked, the Bruno, I looked, it's the Bruno Fernandes complex, isn't it? It's the, yeah. the fact that people are like, wow, he loses the ball a lot. But like, yeah, because he continually tries risky passes. Yeah, it's, it's exactly that. And I even looked into the numbers of... The turnover rate across everyone in the, the city squad, and actually Holland is the the highest in this regard. So turnover rate being yeah, how much you turn over the ball. So it's the possession, the the occasions that you lose possession, uh, divided by the total touches that you have. Um, and Erling Holland's ever so slightly higher, but again for the position that he's in, it makes sense. Um, ever so slightly higher than Kevin De Bruyne, who's second highest in the squad, twenty nine percent turnover rate. So just under a third of the total touches that he has, he does lose possession. But exactly to your point, it's it's because he's trying those those difficult passes that are, are going to be luc- far more lucrative than playing a, a simple five-yard pass. So I don't know whether it's slightly because of that, that with Haaland on top, you know, the two of them aren't the the best at keeping the ball. That's fine because of everything that we've said, of the, the value that they add. But Pep Guardiola does want to retain control as much as he can in a league situation as well, even more so, as, as you said, that he's maybe thinking, I, I need to just take him out, take one of them maybe out of the team for a little bit and just control the game for longer periods. And he wants those players who are going to look after the ball for longer. And I think that's something that Jack Grealish has improved upon, mentioned yeah. it before, but someone who's far better at ball retention than maybe when he was at Villa, where he was the one trying those uh, difficult passes. I think he's been moulded far more into a Guardiola player because he does as he's told and he keeps the ball. Um, so I think there's there's probably that element to it as well. But maybe on top of that, I don't know whether you agree, I think he is just a little bit tired, probably needs a bit of a, a reboot. Um, and um, there's no doubt in his quality, I think. Yeah, no, no I, I think on his day, he's probably he's probably the best player in the Premier League. So yeah. we were looking at it and going, well, if he if he's going to have the odd period here and there where players have been overworked this season, I think no one's no one's under any illusions that that's where we're at. And it's been, there has been so much football with so little gap and for, for such a long period of time now that it feels like this summer, at least for, you know, senior men's international football having a rest, it feels like a big moment just to be like, whoa, okay, drop the pressure mm. for a little bit. And obviously we're hearing lots of things about FIFA's new initiatives, et cetera, et cetera. Like that. Mm. And it deserves a podcast probably of its own to, to get through those things. But I think just a lot of players need a rest. And we're seeing, you know, especially ahead of this international break, a lot of burnout. Maybe Kevin De Bruyne just needed a little bit of a, a, a step back to be like, okay, let me just get my head real set again. And I also think that 
de developing that relationship between him and Haaland, which hasn't always been given all the tools it needs to succeed, I think, with the players around them and with Pep's desire to keep the ball, it is going to take time. But when it does click, it's going to click like it did on, on Tuesday night and it's going to end in an absolute bloodbath with City on the right <laughs> end of them. You mentioned Jack Grealish there, though, and I, I genuinely wanted to ask him, mean, I think you've, you kind of hit the, hit the nail on the head with what's changed for him this season because I was going to say this it feels like he's established himself firmly as first choice left winger after a hit and miss first first season and actually I don't think many were expecting this now I know Pep brings players in and out for long periods but generally I think that Greedish looks like he's locked down that slot aside from kind of being less risky does it just feel like Grealish has started to work his kind of minimal magics and especially when we spoke about how good City were on set pieces on Tuesday. There's no better player maybe in the world, Neymar perhaps aside, at winning set pieces than Jack Grealish because of the way he uses his body and the way he can shift his, his shift his weight. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think just this is just my subjective opinion. He does frustrate me just a little bit in holding the ball, just a little bit too long. He buys the foul brilliantly, but you sometimes just think, oh, there's maybe a pass on there that you just draw. You drew the player in just a little bit too much, but um, strictly keep it objective no subjectivity here no opinions allowed um but no i think that he has he's become very disciplined on and off the ball uh, i think he he does keep his his width really well which i think is what guardiola wants of especially at the moment in playing that that 343 three. those the front three holland's obviously going to keep that central space but who would it often be maybe mares on the the right hand side and grealish really kind of hugging the touchline i think that's different to to maybe what he was used to at Aston Villa, where he would go, I've seen him in interviews say that he would often be encouraged by Dean Smith to go roaming for the ball and just find areas that he would find to, to be the most dangerous. Whereas under Guardiola, it's very much a strict, um, yeah, strict width. So I think that he's, he's really disciplined in that regard. Um, he's been really pressing quite well, I think. He's been really good in terms of his off-ball um, work as well, which I know that obviously Guardiola holds in in real high esteem. Um, I think that we've, we've said about it, how much he, he retains possession really well, but I think his, his ability to drive upfield as well, as you say, by the fouls in kind of those lucrative areas often, but be the one to not just kind of run with the ball, but run with the ball with purpose and progress when he's actually making those carries and those dribbles. So um, I think he has been really really molded into a, a Pep Guardiola uh, winger. Uh, he's, he seems that sort of player as well, doesn't he? He just really wants to, in his demeanour, just play football and will do anything that the manager asks him to as long as he's on the pitch because he's just he just seems like a, a decent lad. In his interviews, you can just tell he's just really enthusiastic all the time. So it's kind of no coincidence that he's doing, I guess, as he's being asked to do. Um, I think he's really kicked on since the World Cup as well. I think his numbers suggest that as well. But... Um, he's really he's, he's got a good run in the team as you say but really kicked on in his his output um, since the World Cup and, and I think compare it with last season I feel like people are saying it's a bit of a narrative that he's kicked on since last season but I looked at I wrote a piece on this last season actually his numbers last season were actually fairly strong not too dissimilar from his final season at Aston Villa where he was doing yeah. really well but his in terms of his underlying numbers but his assists just weren't kind of there but he was laying them on a plate pretty well I think he only had three assists in the league last season. And now it's just that the, the process is, has been pretty much the same, but he's actually just getting the the output that many people like to see in terms of assists and the actual yeah, goals and assists that have been, I guess, from Guardiola's perspective, the the icing on the cake. But his his 
process and his performances, I think, haven't changed too much compared to last season where he was still bedding in. But as, as I say, his underlying numbers were actually quite strong last season. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. I, I like to see Jack doing well. It's one of those mm. things I should hold everything against him for uh, leaving my beloved Republic and, and deciding he's going to change allegiances <laughs> to England. But uh, he's just one of those players that I can't help but incredibly like. So no. here we are. And one last question, Mark, on, on City before we move on to kind of the Champions League generally and the favourites for it. I just was going to ask, and you mentioned it right at the top, about City's defensive shape and that deployment of four centre-backs. I think it would just be great to get a handle on kind of how it works on and off the ball, what it what it looks like, because we've seen John Stones stepping mm. into the midfield. This has been a thing we've seen from City's fullbacks uh, of late, but actually it felt like at times this game where Stones was just stepping up from centre-back and Akanji was drifting out to right-back. It's not something we've necessarily seen quite as much, but it seemed to work to, to perfection. Yeah, they're just so fluid. It, it doesn't matter. I wrote a piece on this actually fairly recently. It was more akin to to Rico Lewis, um, as you say, more of a natural fullback. Um, but in terms of that ability to to create that box midfield, before I come back to the, the centre-backs, is that it doesn't matter who the, the personnel is, it doesn't matter which players it is, it's the ability to just be able to fulfil that same role is just credit to the players, but obviously the coaching staff as well, that it's just plug and play. They are just so well-versed and just so finely tuned in their ability to just continue to play the same way. So it doesn't matter whether it's John Stones, who is naturally a, a centre-back, playing at right-back and then also tucking in the, the midfield, or Rico Lewis, or previously uh, Jao Cancelo, you know, Zinchenko going further back than that. And this isn't something that's, that's as you say, from a full-back perspective, that's new from Pep Guardiola because he was doing it at Bayern Munich for, for years, um, you know, bringing Philip Lahm into the, oh, the uh, defensive midfield role as well. So that's not necessarily new. I think that having four centre-backs is maybe a little bit more more new, but the essentially it's four centre-backs out of possession, which I think that the reason I think he's doing it is to maybe provide a little bit more defensive cover and not necessarily have too, too many marauding full-backs because they've got the front five that's created out of essentially the, the two tens or two number eights and often it would be Gundogan and De Bruyne then you've got maybe Grealish on the left you've got Mahrez on the right and you've got Haaland in the, the middle so the each channel is kind of covered there from yeah. left wing left half space centre to the right normally you'd maybe have those that width from maybe the full back and the, the wide players would tuck in so you've got your front five already there so instead to kind of keep that front line as it is you've got the defensive cover with the four centre backs and I think that probably does come a little bit from the fact that they want to stop the transition a little bit more for the reasons we've spoken about um, and not necessarily have the, those fullbacks bombing on forward. Um, in possession, it becomes very much, yeah, as I say, a, a back three. So those the, either centre-back will push really nice and wide and there'll be one that will stay in the centre. And then, as you say, that, that other centre-back, in this case, John Stones, will tuck in and then create a, a two in defensive midfield. And then you've got those two number eights or number tens De Bruyne and, and Gundogan and that is intended to create overloads within the midfield as well so if you're playing against often not always but often a, a midfield three as your opponent then you've got a superiority there in the middle so it will help in terms of the build-up of working through the central central areas of the pitch um, but also stave off against the the transition and to be able to have more people within the middle and not just Rodri kind of on his own if there is a transitional moment so I think it it clearly works really well in possession 
uh, being able to tuck in and, and create that superiority, but out of possession as well, having kind of someone in that central space. And then if he needs to drop off, Stones is perfectly comfortable to to go kind of more towards right back. But as I say, it's just a massive credit to the coaching staff, as I say, but all of the players to be able to just be like, yep, no problem. You want me to go right back? I'll go right back. You want me to go centre back? Centre back? No problem. Centre midfield? Absolutely fine. Um, it's It's very much total football, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the smart thing about having players like Stones and, and even Carl Walker, who's obviously played centre-back at mm. times, especially at international level, is that if Stones is covering back inside from, from midfield and Akanji's out on the right, there's no bother there. It doesn't matter if Stones is nominally the right-back because yeah. Akanji is more than comfortable and we've seen him play there time and time again for City this season. The fact that there is that fluidity that RK can play centre-back or left-back, the fact that Stones and Akanji can play right-back or centre-back, it does just give City this feeling that you're like, well, it doesn't really matter who's there because one person will be there and everyone's switched on and smart enough to know exactly where they're getting into. It's very, very impressive from Pep Guardiola and his team, as you say. Mm -hmm. I think it takes us nicely onto the kind of idea that where are City? Are, are they right up here in terms of, we know they're the bookies' favourites, but who can win this Champions League? There are eight teams left. Obviously, we have Manchester City and Chelsea from the Premier League. There are three Serie A teams, Napoli, Inter and AC Milan. We have Real Madrid, we have Benfica and we have Bayern Munich. These are some incredible European names. And even the names that maybe aren't as used to being at this stage of the competition regularly, you know, your Benficas are major European forces. You're looking at the two Inter and, and Milan clubs as two old school European forces. Napoli have never been to this stage of the Champions mm. League before, but are probably the most entertaining team in Europe at top of Serie A and looking like they're harking back to the glory days of Maradona. It's a really impressive eight. Massively. Massively. And I think who who could win the Champions League? It could be absolutely anyone because I don't necessarily think that it's always the the strongest team on paper. Rarely is it the strongest team on paper who wins the Champions League. Um, so depending on the draw, you just don't know what's going to happen. The, the two heavyweights could knock each other out. Um, well, the, the I think the two heavyweights I'm thinking here are Bayern Munich and, and Real Madrid. But the, on current you know, team on paper, Manchester City right up there. But if any three of those get drawn against each other, then it's, yeah, it's one one fewer there. Um, it, I think it's it could arguably be City's to lose um, this season, but we know from previous years that it doesn't always kind of go like that. I think that City, when City lost in the Champions League to Chelsea, I think it was fair to say that they were the best team in Europe and they yes. got all the way to the final and we thought, okay, this is the last step. This is where they, you know, they break the hoodoo, etc. And for probably for Pep Guardiola's selection reasons, um, it didn't quite go to plan. So you just think that it's it's never going to necessarily, it's rarely going to be um, the, the team who is the strongest on paper to, to win it because something can just, a random thing can just be thrown up out of nowhere. But, um, I think, yeah, on paper, I would say between City, Bayern or Madrid, um, based on what you would think about their team on paper. But I'm so excited about Napoli at the moment, just the way that they look. And I think it maybe plays into it in terms of how far ahead the team or where the team lies within the league as well, right? Mm -hmm. Napoli could afford to make seven changes the, the weekend before their, their next game and be able to really rest those players and be all fit and firing because of how, how far ahead they are in Serie A. But Manchester City don't have that luxury. I'd, I'd argue Real Madrid and Bayern Munich don't have that luxury either. 
So I think that maybe plays into it as well, you know, the season state at that that time. So, yeah, I'm not necessarily saying I'm putting all my eggs in the Napoli basket, but I, I'd like to see them do well. Benfica have that as well. They're currently yeah. nine points clear, I believe, at the top of, I think it's eight actually, eight points clear at the top of the Primera. And mm. this weekend, Porto play Braga, second play third. And Benfica, mm. one way or another, are almost certainly going to pull away from the chasing pack. Now, it's going to be very interesting to see how that turns out, but they're looking incredibly comfortable. They've come up against some really good sides in this competition already. They knocked Juventus out in the group stages and they finished ahead of PSG. And mm. that's the reason that PSG played Bayern and, and Benfica played Club Bruges. And whilst you can look at that and be like, easy draw on paper, and sure, Club Bruges have been dreadful, and especially in that Scott Parker tenure were really quite poor. They earned that weaker tie by winning a really impressive group. They've been absolutely outstanding for pretty much the entire season, bar two sort of weird freak results against Braga. They've mm. you know had had everyone's number that they've come up against. And I'm, I'm intrigued by that Benfica side. I mean, if you gave me a Napoli-Benfica final now, I, I, I would <laughs> bite your hand off and, and, and eat it up and be like, thanks very much. I'd love that. Um, <laughs> I struggled... I struggle. Whilst you said everyone can win it, and obviously it's the Champions League, everyone can win it. I struggle to see any of either of the Milan clubs yeah. or Chelsea lifting the title. But then again, I could have struggled to see Chelsea lifting the title when mm. Roberto Di Matteo was in charge. So who knows? Um, it really does feel very. But I think there's five sides there, and maybe not the five that people would pick out straight away that really do have the capacity to do anybody else on their day. And, you know, I'd love to see a Benfica Real Madrid game. In the next, mm. and, and just to see, and you know, we've seen Real Madrid struggle in La Liga. Obviously, they just dispatched Liverpool, fine, completely, and and this is their competition. But we saw them fall apart to a bit of a fairy tale story in Ajax a couple of years mm. back. I just wonder. I just wonder if there's something there for Benfica who who just be able to step it up. No, true. It would be really interesting to see the draw as well because it might be that whoever, yeah, whoever they whoever they're drawn against might just there. Not that their dreams will be quashed, but that it might really affect you know the outcome. But if there's if they get a little bit more momentum, whoever it, whoever it may be, um, then it could be it could be really exciting because by the time you know you reach the semi final stage and the final is very much in sight, then the dream is still alive. I don't know. You just think that it could you could just you know anything could happen. Um, whereas yeah, quarterfinals, it might just be a little bit too much. Um, I'd love to see yeah one of the the lesser I was going to say lesser regarded, but it's a heralded not, maybe. Yeah, lesser heralded size. Yeah, thank you. Um, make it make it to at least the final. I think it'd just be refreshing. Yeah, yeah, it opens it up. We've had a lot of repetitive finals in in the last yeah. couple of years. It would be nice to see something different. So I love the Europa League. You always get different <laughs> bits and bobs in the Europa League. And with that, I think it's probably time for us to call it a day here on the Athletic Soccer Show. And all that's left for me to do is to say thank you so much to Mr. Mark Carey for joining me. It's been a real pleasure, Mark. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I will always talk about football. No problem. <laughs> no, indeed. Indeed. You're in You're in good company there. <laughs> Thank you all for listening so much. I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Athletic Soccer Show and we'll see you next week. Take it easy.